You're listening to the One of Us.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hey, One of Us Network listeners, this is Trevor from the Nighthawks podcast, invading your space to ask you to give us a spin if you like movies. And I'm Matt, joining Trevor to ask you to join our cult. May not be a cult. Probably a cult. On the Nighthawks podcast, we cover new movies, old movies, great movies, bad movies, so bad they're good movies. And we cover movies from Norway. One movie from Norway, one time. So far. And it was a really good movie from Norway. It is a good movie from Norway. It's got Stellan Skarsgård. Matt, this is a promo for our podcast, the Nighthawks podcast. Do you want people to listen to the podcast, or do you want them to watch In Order of Disappearance? Wasn't that the point of covering In Order of Disappearance on the podcast to get people to watch it? Fair enough. Watch In Order of Disappearance and then afterwards listen to our Nighthawks podcast episode on it. Or you could listen to an episode on any of the over 120 other movies we've covered. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, and at nighthawkspodcast.com. Previously on Lock and Key, I had, that was the worst part about it was coming back to it after a year or more going, I have read the comic eight times at least, but the show is so different from the comic in so many ways. I was like, wait, now what's happening and who did what with the what? <laughs> There's a lot of characters on Netflix's adaptation of Joe Hill's acclaimed graphic novel series, which is still in my top 10 of comics of all time. I think it's partially because I've always had a f- almost fetishy thing for antique looking, weird, mystical looking keys. Like I have a little collection of like crazy archaic keys you'll find at like thrift shops and stuff. And I even have a framed lock and key key back before, way before the series with like a full on of, of the ghost key. Thanks to one of the fans who sent it to me. I was like, oh, so nice. But the show, been super excited. It took three tries for them to finally make a lock and key show. There's even a pilot of the first attempt. I've never seen it. But hey, this is the one we got. They brought Carlton Cuse from Lost, of course, in to be one of the showrunners here, developed along with Meredith Averill and Aaron Ely Colit, both of which have worked a lot with comic book related stuff. And a really likable cast of young actors, but a lot of people thought that the first season maybe was a little bit too much on the Harry Potter fantasy side, and where's all the horror from the book? The book is very much a horror fantasy. Well, this season said, oh, you want horror? Oh, we'll give you some horror. (laughs) And it kind of delivers, I thought. But hey, I got other people here with me to talk about Lock and Key. I've got Neil. Hello, hello. Matt. Hey. And Jordan. Yeah, hello. And I'm very much with Chris. I really do love the comics. Even last week, I I forgot so fucking much. Thank God people publish synopses online. I just went back and watched all 10 of the previous episodes. We do have a review for the first season. We did cover that one as well. But I'm not going to try and recap all the things that happened in the first season. This would be a way too long review. Listen to that if you want to hear the basic idea. But this picks up three months after the end of the previous season. Dodge, who is the main villain, who is a 
echo, they call him, from like this door in these hidden caves in their area. He came from there and he can switch bodies and he managed to trick the Locke family, the, the kids in the family, from thinking that they had won. They had thrown him back through the door or her in the, the body that they were in at that point. Thing is, is though, there's a key that lets you change what you look like by putting it on a, under your chin. He basically used it on one of their allies. So they threw her back to that world instead of him slash her. Now, she slash he is in the form of their friend Gabe, who's a regular character, like actor who's working on a film they're all doing together, like silly low budget horror film played by Griffin Gluck. So now their friend who's trying to figure out how to create his own key, but for what? Well, it can't be good. And he's now got a henchwoman with Eden, who was a friend of a friend, played by Helia Jones, who got infected by a demon herself without the locks realizing that happened. And she's basically his sort of stupid flunky, but with a mind of her own, just not a very smart one. So meanwhile, Tyler, played by Connor Jessup, Kinsey, played by Amelia Jones, and Bodie, played by Jackson Robert Scott... Now they deal with a totally different problem, which is, to some degree, you know, your normal, the same stuff they're doing the first season, a lot of growing up pains. But really, the existential problem is when they discover, once you reach about 18, like with their mom, they'll see something magic happen, and in seconds, they're like, I don't remember that happening. Or their mind comes up with some excuse for something else, and they find out this is going to happen to them, too. So the battle, how do we fight this? And wait a minute. Aren't there people who we know who were adults who did remember stuff? And how did they do that from the previous generation from their father? So that's just one of many, many things going on in this particular season, including introducing brand new keys, uh, especially the small house key, which was a huge, well, huge is probably the wrong word, a small, mm. huge <laughs> development in the season of a, a house model that they can put the key into. And then basically when you open up the model, you can look in and do whatever you want, manipulate people or objects in there. Obviously that could come in handy, but it also leads to giant spider attacks, which I know some people are actually going to have to warn before seeing the season who are so arachnophobic. I'm going to be like, um, trigger warning. I think overall, this definitely did focus a little bit more on the horror and got a lot darker in the first season. And while I still don't think they've got the formula down pat, I think they're getting a lot closer. I honestly love this season way more than the first. I didn't mind the first season. There is like such a depth of material to adapt. I was more curious, what are they going to get to and what are they not going to be able to touch right now? I joked to myself, man, it'd be weird if they opened with the Revolutionary War stuff. And so we open with the Revolutionary War backstory as to how these keys are created, which props for another genre property for having Kevin Durant in it. And doing a silly accent. How come the one thing Kevin Durant never actually seems to get cast as as just a large, intimidating American man? Where's the fun in that? <laughs> I have seen him play characters where he's not a bad guy, but he tends to still be kind of like the guy who takes no shit, gruff soldier. But normally he's a bad guy. Yeah, he has like a two or three episode arc on Dead Like Me that he's just the large threatening american and it, they don't go too far with it but i was happy to see him too if you're more than six two you don't block out good in hollywood so they just <laughs> typecast you he also has a weird looking face every actor who ever like really exclusively plays villains always ends up being the sweetest at people in real life <laughs> i'd imagine he's like a big cuddly teddy bear probably well and when i saw him I was like, okay, this guy gets work. Why is he here? I love that they did the through line throughout the season. We didn't get an episode of the history. It was 
pieces that were relevant mm-hmm. to what was kind of happening. Which kind of replaced in the way in the first season took pieces from the past from the kids, the Locke's father's generation and them. So we were learning the backstory in little chunks here and there. This time it's like, well, let's go all the way back to the Revolutionary War, which is not there just to give you backstory to add color. It all ends up being incredibly relevant, not only during the second half of the season, but where the next season is going. It has officially been renewed for a third season. They've said they shot three while they shot two. Oh, oh, nice. Well, okay. So I, I don't know if they're done with three, but they were shooting a lot of it okay. too. I did kind of miss Rendell this season because I actually thought the actor they got to play him was really good. He was honestly such a good warm presence, but my main focus is how good these kids are. I really like the main actors, especially Amelia Jones as Kenzie, who was my favorite character in the comics. Also, Darby Stanchfield as Nina Locke. Just such an amazing character, especially this season. This got darker, and in that case, It is good. One of the darker aspects, I thought, was the aspect they were doing that played into the whole people lost their memories with Uncle Duncan, played by Aaron Ashmore. Oh, yes. Who has no memory of anything that happened from when he was a kid because his friends chose to take his memories from him. And when they start figuring out the head key can do things, if you know where the memories are, you can put them back. Well, that didn't seem fair. Maybe we should give him his memories back. That takes a dark turn. (laughs) Uncle Dunk gets fucked. (laughs) <laughs> this whole season, pretty much. I thought this season was just meh, and my issue is with the kids, because they wrote them three different ways. They went through some shit in the first season. To me, they didn't seem to grow. We get three versions of each one. They're smart, they're tactical, they've learned. Then they're just kids appropriate to their age. And then times, they're just below average, dumb, selfish kids. <laughs> I found a lot more interesting stuff with our villains, Dodge slash Gabe and Eden, who I didn't think Eden was dumb, but she was just anxious and ambitious and didn't want to take orders anymore. And her rashness was what was kept causing problems. But I think really the show's message is any character whose name starts with D is cool and interesting. So we got Dodge, we got Duncan, and we got Douglas, part of the film crew. And then the Locke children are borderline selfish and evil and need to be stopped. So that's a bit strong. That is strong. But there's times they are just... On the ball, and shit they learned yesterday, they completely, and not because of magic wiping it out, they just digress on, and they fuck Duncan, without spoilers, and it's all for almost selfish gains. No, let's just give it a little bit longer. Maybe, maybe. He's in agony. He's going through some shit, and they're just like, (laughs) can we give it just a little bit longer? I thought some of the side plots were good, like them hearing, feeling the ticking clock of age. That was the oldest dealing with that and seeing it first and foremost with his girlfriend and what to do with it. Like that was one of the more interesting things of like once they get to a certain point, like, well, do I do it? And I was totally surprised by where she goes with it. Like that was unexpected. Brody's like, hey, I want to borrow the most powerful key we got. No, it's too dangerous. Come on. Okay. Be careful. (laughs) Actually, that little jaunt did nothing for the story because what he learns, the other two learns completely independent of him. So there was no need for that little side trip. I'm assuming it was in there because he visits a character who was sort of written out this season. And I'm pretty sure they want to use more later. So they just sort of wanted to have some kind of tickler that that person existed. I do have a few little nitpicks. Like for one thing, the dollhouse key is really broken. 
Like it's OP as fuck. If you could go get one gold eagle somewhere and just like have someone go put it in the dollhouse and have a coffee table sized gold coin. Sure. Like that'd be pretty rad. No, no, no. You go get a <laughs> Batman action figure and you put it into the fucking house. I was Really? You'd rather have a giant sized Batman action figure than like a coffee table sized gold coin? Yeah, with gold coins you can buy Batman figures. <laughs> oh wait, the toy won't actually come to life. Never mind. <laughs> You know Bruce Wayne is not real, right? I've been working <laughs> since like 9 a.m. My brain's broken. <laughs> I agree with you, Matt. The dollhouse key was way underused. I thought we could have got more creative with it. Once they have it, it becomes a plot hole because it's so strong. I have a feeling like many of the keys, they're going to find a way to get rid of it. The idea that just out of wanting to not be rude to the guy whose house it's at... <laughs> They sort of underutilize it, you know? And they did set up that guy the whole season to be more interesting than he is, who is this character who's a new teacher who's introduced to sort of a love interest for the mom, but also he has a daughter that becomes best friends with Bodhi. The house in question, the miniature dollhouse version of the Lock Manor, is in his house, so anytime they need to do something with it, they basically gotta either go in there or call the little girl and go, hey, can you do this? Which I think was the way they put the limit on it. They're like, okay, if they had the dollhouse in their house, then it would be like well fuck we're gonna try everything (laughs) i thought he was gonna turn out to be more than he was they kind of red herring him like five six times i think he still is because it establishes there is a connection with him and with that revolutionary war story and i think that that is going to become very relevant yeah he's the descendant of the uh redcoat guy and yeah and he even had a bit of the uh whispering iron which is what the keys are made of but he just thinks ooh it's a musket bullet i like the subplot with what is entailed in successfully making a key I like that the other shoe dropped on the family ghosts that hang around the compound. Now that they know he's there, wouldn't you just ask him about everything all the time? Uh, yeah, after I shoved a bunch of gold through the dollhouse. Yeah, well, after that. I would like to point out, you can also go the other way and make incredibly cute palm-sized hippopotamuses. (laughs) Fuck no. Why not? Well, you wouldn't want a little tiny hippopotamus as a pet? Not even that. No, I've seen what hippos do. Fuck that. They are not cuddly. You could get four of them and feed them little white jawbreakers. (laughs) No, but if they were like thimble size, how much damage are they going to do, Jordan? Come on, seriously. (laughs) I'm still not taking that risk. I mean, I'd go for a savannah lion, but that's me. Of course, that's the question. How do you get a full-size, full-grown hippo into the lockhouse in the first place? Where does one find one the of those? The anywhere key. Come on. The most powerful key of all the keys. That's, that's true. A few of my own problems with the season, mainly the finale, once you feel like we've defeated the evil and stuff, there's like a good chunk of finale. Okay, we gotta wrap this up. Wrap that up. Put a bow on that. It's set this shit up for next year that was a pacing issue it was almost half an hour of epilogue kind of lord of the rings style i will say i did like eden the demon maybe it was inhabiting some of the old habits that eden the person had because it was doing too good a job at times of blending in and such and i also really like where they used the head key to go inside demon Eden's head. That was spectacular. The inside of their head looks basically like any given high-end department store, perfume counter and everything, and that is what it feels like for me when I'm forced to be in one of those places. I'm just like, oh god. I did have one other plot hole. The key that makes you remember. The memory key. 
Use it on the mom. Use it on the mom like episode six, as soon as I get it. I kept going, really? Is this not, is no one going to have this conversation? And she's in constant danger because she doesn't have the ability to remember any of this stuff. It would be a huge boon to give her the ability to, to remember. But I gotta admit, on some level, writing this is hard because there's all these different keys with big, wide, story-breaking superpowers that they have to do shit to go like, okay, that key doesn't exist anymore. That key doesn't exist anymore because otherwise... As you add new keys, it's going to be the point where like, well, what could stop the locks? The anywhere key is the one I want because I just want to go to like other countries and get food, right? Fair. Plus never have to be in traffic. The show is a little ambiguous, but does time pass while you're in the head key or do you re-inhabit your body the second you left it? I assume it passes, but with one character... You lose the the concept of its passage. I believe that would be Aaron. We do see characters who can go in and see a person when they're like frozen from the head key and people are in their head and time is passing while they're not there. So it's not like instantaneous, but the time might be shorter, longer. I don't know. Well, we need to go to final thoughts. So Neil, why don't you continue into that? I enjoyed season one, but some of the charm of season one, I think, is a little bit of failing of season two. The Lock kids don't seem to have learned or grown from their experiences. And I blame the writing. The actors are great and can shift gears. I just think they had them shift gears too often between stuff, being selfish, being strategic and smart, and then just being kids. I did have fun with the season, though. I'm still holding hope against hope for the Squirrel Key. Spoiler, we don't get it this season. Maybe season three. That sounds like a good key. What does that do? Control squirrels. They may mix it. There's an animal beast key that lets you control animals, but squirrels. Oh, see, now we know how they get the hippos. God Exactly. <laughs> we can. This shit writes itself. Dodge and Eden are great. Give them a spinoff of all the time in between. I'd watch that because those two were so good. I enjoy most of the season that the lock kids don't know what's really going on. They're doing their own thing when massive dark forces are moving in the background trying to get them. Overall, I'm going to give the season 6 out of 10 botched keys. Just re-mail them and try again. Which is a shame because that is a pretty key, I gotta tell you. I was like, ooh, I want that one in my collection. Oh, you're talking about the first botched one we saw? No, that one was... But it was cool looking. Had like a demon face on it and stuff. I was like, hell yeah, give me that key. Matt, what about you? First off, I thought that key had a perfectly wonderful function. Yeah, it made people in the oil. Yeah, yeah. It's a liquefier. <laughs> it's good for back pain. But the plot holes that I, I sort of gravitated toward were all kind of, of like, how could it be vampires in space? That doesn't make any sense. They were nitpicks. Overall, I think it's consistent and it carries the torch. It had a middle chapter feel. I've been accused of being too glib and too quickly calling things the empire of their trilogy. But it definitely like is in no way standalone or anything. Like You would be completely lost without season one, you know. So I would dock it a couple points for that. Most of the acting was anywhere from fine to pretty darn good. I really liked the Dodge character, and I actually really thought, as peanut butter and jelly, as Wonder Bread as his character was, the guy that played the professor did a good job with like his scenes where he blows up in anger and then realizes like he's losing it. Interesting little possible red herrings or possible hint that he's more than he seems, you know? So I was pretty happy with all of that. Of course, the production's gorgeous. It's a very good-looking show. The Keyhouse setting is sort of like a Bly Manor that's been inhabited. So all in all, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10 times people should have put a damn pillow down before they use the ghost key. (laughs) Yeah, right. You can get a concussion. (laughs) Or at least when there's two people, no one is ever there to hold, like, grab them when they fall. Like, nope, sorry, man. It's cost of using the ghost. 
Ghost Key. That is the <laughs> ultimate trust fall. Jordan? I really loved season two. I thought it was a huge marked improvement over season one. I still really liked the actors playing the Locke children, especially Kenzie. And I really liked more characters getting fleshed out, like Duncan. And even Scott, who I can tell you how you're going to handle film school. You're going to get addicted to caffeine, drink too much, not sleep, throw everything at the page and see what sticks. I'm getting too real here. I really loved the cinematography and how much wider the mythology was made. And especially with even bringing in the Revolutionary War stuff and the flashbacks to the creation of the keys, essentially. And I really love how that's being set up for season three, which I'm actually excited about now. The finale is really unevenly paced, but that's the main issue I would have. I do highly recommend this. I will give this 9 out of 10 VHS copies of the splattering. I think overall, I agree that this is better than the first season. I don't actually have the problem you do, Neil, with the characters like that, because I think a lot of the time, and I'll I'll get to some of the times I have problems with it, their behavior, but a lot of the time, I think it's just that. They are just kids, and they make a lot of stupid mistakes, but they also sometimes come up with smart stuff and do things right. They're kids. They don't know what they're doing is literally the point of the whole thing. So for me, I never found that really a problem, but I did, in fact, have a problem with a tendency both these seasons do, a point you're just yelling at the TV. Literally anyone would know to do this with any given character. And like I said, that most specifically stood out with the fact that use the memory key on mom. There's no way somebody wouldn't have gone, we need to do this and fast because her life is in danger like every single day that she's not capable of knowing what's happening here. That soured the second half of the season for me a little bit because it just kind of pissed me off. But I think this is relentlessly creative. I like that it's diving more into the horror stuff. I love the little mini horror film that they were making really cracks me up. Then they were like, sure, we'll use the keys to do special effects. That's awesome. Yeah, I had fun. Once I got up to speed again with remembering everything that had happened, I was really thoroughly enjoying myself all the way to the end. So I'm going to give this seven and a half out of 10 Chekhov's fishing lures. Because the moment they're like, yeah, the lure, dad liked to fish. He kept it on his hat. I wonder if that will be important. 